Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Kwame Alexander and Daniel Miares, who are teaming up this spring for a picture book, Surf's Up, a tribute to the power of reading that features a pair of frogs, one of whom is dying to surf and the other who can't get enough of his book. Surf's Up is available now from North-South Books, which is sponsoring this podcast. Kwame Alexander is the winner of the 2015 Newbery Medal for his middle-grade novel and verse, The Crossover, which also received a Coretta Scott King honor. A companion to that novel, Booked, will be published in April. Alexander is also the author of the young adult novel, He Said, She Said, the picture book Acoustic Rooster and His Barnyard Band, and several other books. Thanks for speaking with me, Kwame. Thanks for having me. Daniel Miares has created several picture books, most recently Float and Pardon Me, both of which he wrote as well as illustrated. He's also the illustrator of Bambino and Mr. Twain by P.I. Maltby and Waking Up is Hard to Do, based on Neil Sadaka's hit song. Thanks for being here, Daniel. Thanks for having me. So Kwame, I'll start with you. You know, I understand you're, you're pretty active on the literacy front with a, a couple of organizations you founded. Did that at all play a, a big part in the decision to sort of come up with a picture book that really frames reading as an adventure? You know, it's a good question. And I looked at sort of all the books that I wrote in the past two years. I was looking at that recently and all of them have to do with the joy and sort of the power of reading. And I wish I could say that I sort of consciously set out to do that. But I think that that's just where my head has been, whether it's at home with my my daughter, reading with her at night and, and getting her excited about books. Or, as you said, if it's because of the work that I do in schools, I'm, I'm on the road about four days a week and and getting kids excited about books and showing them how books are cool. I think I sort of just unconsciously or subconsciously did this um, in particular, wrote this book. Because I was in that moment. I've been in that moment for a while where I've been appreciating the power of language and literature. And, and I think I wanted to, to translate that for the little ones. And do you remember what the initial idea was that you hit on with this particular book? Yeah. Well, the initial idea, man, you know, as most of these things come to us creators of children's books was, you know, I, I had a brainstorm and I said, oh, that, that might make an interesting idea for a book. And of course, when you have that thought, usually that initial concept is pretty far out. It's pretty whacked out. And so for me, it was at a farmer's market and I saw a painting of a frog and and just stared at this painting for maybe hours. I was sitting across from that particular vendor. I was signing copies of a, of a previous picture book I'd written and I could not get this frog out of my mind or, or obviously out of my sight. And so I wanted to sort of give that frog a story. And so that's really where it started. How it ended up being about the joy of reading, again, I think goes back to, to all the work that I've done, and, and, and it's just where my head was at. Daniel, can you talk a little bit about uh, how and when you got involved with uh, the book? My artist rep sent me an email and said, hey, we have this manuscript from North-South that they'd like you to take a look at and see what you think. And I said, okay, sure. And, and I got this email with the manuscript in it. I opened it up, and I was like, well, this is a this is all dialogue. And I thought, okay, <laughs> I thought this, you know, I had just come off of pardon me, which is purely dialogue driven too. And I, and I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. Um, maybe they're kind of seeing that connection between pardon me and what this could be. And, and so I was like, okay, I gave it a read. And initially, you know, what struck me was most of the time when I read a manuscript, I, I have to digest it a few times and, and think about, you know, what it really means to me. But, but this one, 
the first time through, I started to imagine who these characters were. And I think a lot of that had to do with Kwame's amazing dialogue and, and all the personality he infused it with. And so, so when I started out, I said, well, gosh, you know, I'm already getting pictures in my head of who these guys could be and how they're interacting, but what else, you know, what is the rest of the story? Because it was dialogue driven and, you know, and the publisher expressed that, well, there's a few kind of key elements here. You know, they wanted them to be frogs and they wanted it to be a, a nod to Moby Dick, but also the fact that it is about the power of reading and the idea of learning to use your imagination to take you to different places. And, you know, and to me, after I read it a few more times and thought about it, you know, the kernel or the nugget at the center of it being about the power of reading was the thing that got me. And I was like, how could I not do this book? And I had to research Kwame and figure out who the heck this guy was. Because this was all before the, the Newberry announcement, I believe, right, Kwame? It was. And so I, you know, I started going through and reading some of the crossover and, you know, figuring all this, all, all the other things that he had his hands into. I was like, oh, man, this guy has a whole history of uh, of literature in and out of picture books that that I I didn't have. And I thought, well, this could be a fun ride. So so I said, sure, let's do it. Kwame, thinking along those lines, you know, the crossover written entirely in verse. I know you have uh, poetry books and things like that before that. Do you feel like this this approach, this story where you were telling it entirely through dialogue is sort of in line with that? Was that something that you had from the start or that come later? No, nah, it, it definitely was. And as I sit here listening to, to Daniel sort of, you know, respond to his first take on it, it's he's he's right. And and the 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 poet really tries to say a whole lot in very few words. Our goal is to use an economy of words and some really power packed verse. And, and I think I did that with this book, probably, you know, in, in the most extreme way, you know, there's no narrative. Like you said, there's no story in, in, in a traditional sense, it's just dialogue. And of course, in my mind, when I'm writing it, I see the story, I see how it's supposed to play out. I see the beginning, middle and end. And sort of the challenge for the poet is to leave enough white space that the reader can sort of use their imagination to figure it out, but to also make sure that you use enough of the right words that there's sort of some room for the imagination to blossom. And I think that's in this particular case, which is why I'm such a big fan of, of, uh, of in particular of Daniel's work, but also in terms of authors and illustrators sort of having their space to do their thing. Because I think Daniel took that white space and used sort of his imagination and did what all great illustrators do. And that is sort of create another story within the story. So Kwame, did you include any sort of notes, I guess, supplemental details for Daniel, other than that, you know, here's the dialogue and we think that they're frogs or did you sort of leave that all, all to him? You know, at, at first I didn't. And uh, I remember my writing group saying, well, you're going to have to put an illustrator note in there. And again, I'm not a big fan of that. I write my story and I get to a point where I love it. And I feel like, you know, a great illustrator will sort of create their story with my words and do their thing. And, but I was kind of convinced by my writing group and my editor, my awesome editor, our awesome editor, Beth Terrell, that I needed to give sort of some idea of what was going on inside my head. And so I tried to offer a few things, but certainly they were just sort of point of reference. I don't recall, and maybe Daniel can help us out on this, whether they were sort of instructional, like, I want this done. It's sort of really what's going on in my head. 
Well, I remember there being a few notes about the, you know, leveraging the idea of the imaginings, you know, the the imagery of what is being imagined and and how that's playing out. And, you know, honestly, I wouldn't have developed the visual story that I did if there weren't those initial little kernels, because it was an interesting challenge. You know, I mean, there were there were several things that needed to be firing at the same time. And and honestly, I think that makes for the most compelling storytelling is when you have details that are based on this passion led project, you know, that which is like the manuscript that I received. And then these few notes, you know, that that are going to lay down a roadmap or guide rail, so to speak. And, you know, to have that kind of space beyond that to play as long as those few things hold true, uh, then, you know, to me, that's just a fascinating and interesting challenge. And, and I think that's when the best uh, most inventive story ideas come about um, because when I'm working on a story idea myself, uh, I'm so limited to just my own experiences and my own takes on subjects that it's really nice to kind of bounce that off of where someone else is coming from. Kwame, did you guys interact at all during the process or were this more like you getting to see it in a, in a finished state um, and sort of here's where we are, here's what it is? No, we didn't, we didn't interact. I think this is probably the first time I've talked to Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, Daniel. Hi, Kwame. <laughs> Can't wait <laughs> but, to meet you in person. Exactly, exactly. But certainly, you know, we've been, you know, in touch on social media in terms of the book launch. But during this process, you know, I, I didn't have Daniel sort of when I was writing the book. And I, I had that freedom and that space to sort of do what I needed to do. And and again, while I did sort of share a few things about what was going on in my head for him, I really wanted to make sure from my vantage point, he had that same kind of space to do his thing um, when he was creating it. Um, so, no, we didn't. And Daniel, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the process, you know, the tools you used as far as putting the art together? Was it similar to uh, how you've approached uh, some of your previous books? Yeah, it's it's pretty similar to, you know, Float and Pardon Me, definitely. I do a... It's, it's, it's a little hard to explain, but I... I do a lot of painting. I love inks and watercolor and gouache. And so I'll paint a lot of my elements as separate pieces. Like I'll paint a character and then I'll paint another character and I'll, I'll paint my backgrounds and then I composite them all in the computer using Photoshop. I mean, the whole point is to really leverage the marks that I make naturally, capture that energy and not be too tied down to making sure that, well, if I, if I make a big washy cloud across the back of the sky, then I'm not going to obliterate the character in front of it. Some of it's for that, but also some of it's to give myself flexibility. So if we're in the collaboration, if we're like, well, what if we change the color palette a little? I can tweak the colors. I can change the values. I can push things this way or that. But I do a lot of painting of separate parts and pieces. To go back to the story a little bit, Kwame, the book that the frog has its nose uh, buried in is, you know, if not Moby Dick, kind of supposed to be Moby Dick, I think. You know, I can see the, the nautical aspect of that story fitting well with the surfing theme. But, you know, this is a book that's also known for being a little daunting. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to sort of build the story around that particular book, especially, you know, considering this is a book about like, hey, you should read and maybe try this one. <laughs> you know? So let me say this. I have you know, I've written a few picture books and, and, and I've been accused of writing picture books that were a little too advanced for younger readers. So in, in my book about acoustic rooster, I, I talk about some of the jazz greats like Thelonious Monkey and, and Mules Davis and Duck Ellington. And, and a few reviewers said things like, well, kids, five-year-olds aren't going to know who Miles Davis is or who Ella Fitzgerald is. And, 
And, and so I've gotten some of the same sort of feedback about Surf's Up in that kids aren't going to know about this, this daunting book, Moby Dick. And my thing is twofold. One, yeah, they aren't going to know, but that's why I'm writing a book. They need to know. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to educate them. And, and number two, parents, for, and, and I know this as a parent reading to his kid every night. We got to do some work sometimes in these books. And sometimes it requires us to have conversations and explain and help kids figure it out. So, yeah, no kid, no five-year-old, no seven-year-old is going to know who Moby Dick is. The parents are going to know. And that's a great sort of conversation piece. And thirdly, the last thing is how cool of, a, of an experience, of an adventure can you get like other than Moby Dick? Like that's it. That's the story right there when you talk about showing how a kid can fall into a book and, and how you can have this amazing adventure on the page. And, and it has all the things that, that, that kids, even if they don't know the, the exact title, it has all the things that they get excited about. Water, whales, pirates, boats, storms, whales eating people. I mean, it just, it's just, this just a notion. It's just, it's exciting to me. And when you think about, trying to write a book where the words come off the page and, and come alive on the stage, to me, that was sort of an, an obvious choice for me as, as the writer of Surf's Up. Yeah, Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. Daniel, for you, did you spend any time with Moby Dick or maybe a few little surfing lessons as part of your research? <laughs> I, I did notice at the very least you've got some, some fun costumes for the frogs once they really get into the, uh, the character. Yeah, I mean you never know exactly what kind of research you're going to have to do when you just get a manuscript. But um, once you start trying to illustrate something, you realize pretty quick what you don't know or what you think, you know, and I'm familiar with the book, Moby Dick, read it, studied it. But, you know, like Kwame said, I had to kind of distill it down and figure out, you know, what are the things that, that are going to be captivating? What are kids going to want to see? What's going to really grab them? You know, and if I show something, you know, I want it to be, you know, a part of the story, but also I want it to be something that if they want to know more, they can dig deeper. And, you know, like the idea of a large boat, but then there's this giant beast out there that they're trying to catch. And then lo and behold, the captain's in a smaller little dinghy out there trying to get this whale, you know, (laughs) I mean, you know, my kids look at that and they're like, man, that's dangerous. And I'm like, yeah, isn't it? And the idea that it's not a natural progression. You say, well, why would he leave the main ship? You know, but historically, you know, how whaling is done, you know, I have to research that and figure out what, you know, what really went into it because sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to understand just how brave someone was being or just how big of a feat something was until you know the details. Um, so yeah, I, I researched stuff like that to get into it. Kwame, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about how the Newberry has, uh, you know, changed things in, in your life as an author. You mentioned, you know, being on the road four days a week kind of thing. I don't know if that was already the case before the award, but how is, um, does it feel like a whole different ballgame compared to life before last January? Yeah, it, it does, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of akin to, I, I share this all the time. I tell people I, for the first 23 years of my writing career, I was sort of a jet plane on a runway. And I was on that runway. I never got off the runway, but I kept getting faster. I kept speeding up each year, each book, each project. And when the Newberry happened, the plane, the jet took off. And I've sort of been, you know, soaring ever since 30,000 feet in the air. So I think the biggest thing for me is the opportunity to share my love of poetry and and literature and language with more kids um, around the world. My family and I are 
heading to Shanghai for two weeks to, to, to work with students who have read the crossover. So it's exciting to be able to have that opportunity that your book is in more hands, that more people are aware of it. And I got to say that, you know, I wrote this book, Surf's Up, before the Newberry, and Daniel was on board before the Newberry. And certainly his illustrations bring a whole different kind of life to the story. But I also know that without the Newberry, if I had, you know, been out promoting a book about two frogs, um, I may not have gotten a lot of the love that I've been getting. And that that's not to say that people are shallow. It's just to say that with this metal comes a lot more exposure and opportunity. And if you're putting in the work, I think the rewards are just, they just continue to multiply. And, and I've just been really blessed and quite excited, man. Daniel, how about you? Do you get out there much talking with kids, uh, school visits, that sort of thing? Or is it more solitary illustrator's life at the computer? <laughs> I hate people. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I have a family. I have a, a daughter um, who's seven and a son who's four and a wife. So I'm, you know, I'm always looking at, you know, ways to grow what I'm doing with books, but also I have to provide for them and, and make sure that, you know, I take care of home base too. So a lot of the events and things that I've done have been kind of regional and local, or if, you know, if I get a book into the Society of Illustrators original art show, for instance, you know, I'll go to New York and I'll, I'll do things in that area because I'm there. It just depends on what the opportunity is. I'm definitely not traveling four days out of the week, every week, but it comes in spurts and it's mostly got to do with where are the resources? Where do you get the biggest bang for your buck? I do a lot of Skype sessions. Um, I visit a lot of local schools because it's cheap for the school and it's and it's easy for me. So I mix it up. I you know I've done things on college campuses, actually through other connections. So that's kind of nice to get like children who are actually reading the books and then people who aspire to make books to kind of mix it up that way. Um, but I'm you know I'm obviously just learning and and figuring out how that you know this past year was a big watershed year for me, actually, because, you know, Float didn't pick up any major awards, but the idea that it was on the tip of people's tongues and it was on people's minds, you know, that really changed the way I've been interacting with people in social media. So I could see doing a lot more of this kind of a conversation long distance, or if it makes sense, actually going and clustering events in areas, but it's all got to do with, with the dollars and cents, sadly, when it comes down to it. But, um, but there are, there are leaps of faith that we take. You know, I went out to L.A. last year because someone expressed interest and I thought, well, I just want to go see what that scene's all about. You know, how's the book scene different there than it is in the Midwest versus East Coast? You know, I think it paid off because I met a lot of great people, you know, made a made a friend out of Brian Wan. If you know his work, hooray for hat. So that was pretty awesome. But, you know, I may still be on the runway. I don't know, Kwame, but we're uh, I'll see how it goes. Well, I got to say this, man, your your book float was one of my two favorite books last year. I mean, it was. Oh, it's very kind of you to say. It's one. It's one of the best picture books I've ever read, man, uh, or or not read rather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this must have felt su such a loquacious book compared to that one. So, <laughs> so I know you guys said you had not yet met um, Kwame. Any any plans to make that happen? Any events for this book that might bring uh, you and Daniel together? I sure hope so. I sure mm -hmm. hope so. I know that I'm uh, I'm going to be on tour for the new novel um, booked, which comes out in April, and I. I think I'm in uh, Kansas City or St. Louis. Are you near one of those, Daniel? I'm in Kansas City, actually. Yeah, I think I may I may be there during the book tour. So, fingers crossed. All right, absolutely. And you know, 
Kwame, speaking of, uh, you know, I, I know Booked is probably the next uh, project, at least nearest on deck for you. Is there anything else you're uh, working on? Maybe more books in that sort of series? Other other things you're thinking about? Yeah, man. I, I, again, I, I really love writing in verse, and so I'm I'm writing a prequel to the crossover, which is called Rebound. Um, so I'm working on that now, and uh, just really excited about you know more poetry, just exposing more kids and and teachers and parents and librarians to to the power of poetry. And Daniel, how about you? I, th- I think I saw maybe you have another picture book on the way this year. Yeah, in June I have another one coming out um, that I wrote called "Bring Me a Rock," and it's it's about a megalomaniac grasshopper king. And yeah, that's about it. He he's he's got grand plans and he imposes his his will on his loyal subjects. And it's about how those plans aren't actually so grand after all, and and what happens because of it. But. That one comes out um, in June through Simon and Schuster, and I'm working on a couple more projects. Um, one of them is is based on a series that I've been doing on Instagram called That Neighbor Kid. So I'm I'm working on a new book with Simon and Schuster based on that series. So that'll be coming coming out next year. Okay, great. Well, congrats uh, to both of you on you know on this book and also your future projects. And uh, thank you both for speaking with me. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Once again, I've been talking with Kwame Alexander and Daniel Meares, whose picture book Surfs Up is out now from North South Books. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. 